Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, we read some messages from listeners and then dive into a spoiler discussion about next season. Welcome to Wind's Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And we are at the end. That's right. Every season has to come to an end. And this is our finale for season two. I'm excited, though, because this will be something we can purely speculate about. We don't have to worry about, you know diving into so many things that have happened, we can just discuss what we think will happen or what we hope will happen, I guess. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a little loosey-goosey today. And the format of today's show is actually a little different than our usual deep dives as well. So let me break it down for our listeners real quick. In the first half of today's episode, we are going to do a mailbag section. We're going to read many of the great emails and messages that you have sent us through the course of this season as we've all watched it together. That section will be spoiler-free. But after the ad break, in the second half of this episode, we are diving into a spoiler-heavy discussion about Season 2 and Season 3 and beyond. So that's going to encompass all the books, the video games, and the larger Witcher canon. And one more note before we jump into that mailbag section, we love to hear from you. Even though the season is over and we'll be going on break after this episode, we still want to hear your thoughts as you watch the show or as news comes out about future spinoffs and seasons. So write to us at windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com. We love your letters. Okay, Brett, you ready to read some mailbag? Let's get it. Let's do it. Okay, first up, we have an email from Kayla Norton about the Yen and Siri mother-daughter relationship. This is something that we explicitly asked our listeners to write to us about. And she did. This is what she wrote. It is a little hard to buy it so quickly. I will admit to that. But in the previous episode, when they all first met, I got the impression that Yen felt very conflicted about what she intended to do with Siri. When they were all having dinner together at the temple... It felt very much to me like Yen was warming up to Siri, and I could almost feel her internal struggle. But during the fight with Firefucker, I think Yen was reminded again just how powerless she is, so it propelled her forward on her mission. But as they journey together towards Sintra, and Yen gets to know Siri a bit more, and she hears her talk about Geralt, she starts to soften towards her again. I definitely feel her conflicting feelings, which indicates to me that she feels something towards Siri. While it may not be a mother-daughter level yet, I feel it coming, especially at the end when she sacrificed herself for her. I do agree that the timeline is super fast-paced towards the end of Season 2, and if it had been paced slower, it would have been more believable. But given my feelings about the previous episode, 
I think we got a nice little setup there. Thank you, Kayla, for sharing your thoughts on that relationship. It's really interesting to hear other people's opinions because, you know, Brett, you and I certainly felt a, a way about it and we've said our piece about it. But I like that Kayla picked up on the nuance, even in the temple, when the three of them are just sitting down and having dinner, that there's like subtext there and there's feelings there. Yeah, I think she summed it up pretty well there that the problems with Yin and Siri, there's also going back to season one, you talk about what happened in Brokolon or maybe what did not happen in Brokolon with Geralt yeah. and Siri's initial relationship. So it is something, again, just to kind of, we're almost in limbo, or I guess you can say we're just kind of waiting when those are the two biggest things, the two biggest relationships, and they both right now are still kind of question marks, at least for me. Definitely. What did you think of Kayla's note about Firefucker? Because this I actually loved and hadn't thought myself, that in that conflict with Reince, Yen was reminded how powerless she is without her magic, right? How vulnerable she is. And perhaps that is what pushed her over the edge to betray Geralt. I didn't really pick up on that, but I think Kayla's spot on. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a very good observation and to pick up on that because I didn't at all. And maybe because I was just thinking about, you know, some other things that weren't uh, that might have been going on outside of that or maybe in the same scene. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think that was a good a good observation there for sure. Yeah. And last note about Kayla's email here. What did you think about the pacing? Kayla felt it was kind of too fast near the end of the season. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've beaten that dead horse. I might have another notice <laughs> about it in the notes at the end. But yeah, it's just, there's a lot they're trying to do. It's a very ambitious show. I love it for that. But it's just so much going on that so far it hasn't really all clicked. And we'll see just where they take it. Yeah, definitely. I'm with you there. I'm with Kayla there. The pacing, particularly towards the end of the season, felt breakneck. We were compressing a lot of character growth into a very short amount of time, and I wish we had allowed some of those moments to breathe. Thanks again, Kayla, for writing that email and sharing your thoughts. We loved it. Next, an email from Ronnie Hayes about season length. Since I'm new to the Witcher world, I've been trying to keep the show as a completely different entity from the book's games as I've progressed in each. Overall, I've really enjoyed the story that the show is telling thus far, even though it's a different path than the books. What I find most frustrating with adaptations, even more now than in the past, is the sheer lack of screen time to portray the full story properly. They basically have eight hours a season to tell this elaborate story with four to five different perspectives. I'm just not sure that's possible, and that's what worried me the most. I honestly feel like these first two seasons could have used two more episodes each to build the world and the characters a little better. <laughs> so yeah, Abu, what say you? Oh man, Ronnie, my guy, you're preaching to the choir. This is something you and I have harped on all season long, and particularly towards the end of the season, we just could not stop talking about how we wished Season two was 10 episodes, even nine episodes. Like we needed a bit more time with some of these arcs and with the ambitious story that's being told. It's the biggest thing that I, I feel they need to change is just, like you said, one, two more. I, there's got to be a good reason for it. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something in their algorithm that says 
people will be more apt to watch an eight episode than a 10. I normally would. Like to me, the perfect miniseries of something would be six episodes. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to have six episodes, you need to tell a six episode story. This is not is eight episode story with everything they're even adding as well, which can be really good. Like overall, I've liked the season. I enjoyed it a lot. But the end game and what they're really trying to hit on, if they're going to go that route, they're just either going to have to retool how they do eight episodes or go to 10. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think Ronnie's point is spot on. All right. Megan Evans writes about Geralt, Yen, and Siri's relationship. The introduction of the audience to the Yennefer-Siri relationship couldn't have been a worse choice. It makes it extremely difficult to truly buy Yennefer's maternal affection for Siri, which is crucial for so many reasons. The show has shown its non-canon content is useful by giving us that depth to Yen, whereas the books and games give her a more straightforward, quotations, bitchy as hell, her words, not mine, characterization. <laughs> but my, my thoughts, though, I agree with that. But seeing her come to know Siri via blackmail and forced kidnapping reminded me of the last season of Game of Thrones, where every character butchered their arcs with essentially one nonsensical action. Yennefer kidnapping Siri fucks with the long-term storyline and didn't serve to do anything for season two other than pissing off Geralt and showing one scene where Siri has some non-screaming magic power. Quotes don't get me started that we didn't get any scenes of Yennefer training Siri in the way of chaos. Here, here. I mean, it kind of was by the bridge, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, kind of, but I agree with you. It was one scene, it was quick, it was boom, 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 yeah. And while the Deathless Mother plotline otherwise worked really well as entirely non-canon plot, this part of it didn't make any sense to me, and I don't see how the show will recover in future seasons to get to the Geralt-Yen-Siri family bond that is arguably the crux of the entire series. And so, yeah, again, more good points there. I do think that was the only training that we got was Yennefer and Siri and it mm-hmm. kind of was chaos it was power it was about controlling it and it was a quick I don't even know how long that scene was was it five minutes I don't know at that point in the show like you said it was just boom 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 and like that was it and I know you cannot fully adapt everything it's fine I don't want a straight adaptation I don't want every little thing in there but as Megan said here a big reason why that hit on in the books was you had chapter after chapter of it. You really got to feel it. You got to get inside their heads. I know they can't do that for TV, but I do think they could do more than literally one scene. Yeah, definitely. Looking back, now that I've had a bit of time to just digest my thoughts on season two as a whole, I actually couldn't agree with Megan Moore and with you, Brett, that this abduction being the initial introduction of Yen to Siri and Siri to Yen is, uh, this is perhaps a hot take of me to say, but arguably like an even worse decision than what they did with Askel. And I think it's pretty clear on this podcast how I feel about Askel. I'm not going to get into that again. But as you stated in our discussion back when we talked about Askel, he's a minor character in the grand scheme of things. So at the end of the day, like, cool, whatever, the changes that were made don't ultimately matter. Here, however, with Yen and Siri, every change matters because they are, as Megan said, the crux of this this entire series, their relationship with each other. And just the fact that their initial introduction to each other is based entirely around a, like a lies and deception and what amounts to a, 
a light kidnapping is tough. It's a tough look. And I don't know how you feel about it, Brett, but I worry that the production team, the the storytellers behind this show have just too monumental of a task in season three to rebuild this relationship, to prove to us as the audience that Yen sees Siri as a daughter and that Siri sees Yen as a mother after what they've been through. Well, they've already written the scripts and started the season, so the answer is there. <laughs> or it's well, it's not technically out there in public, but they've uh, they've started. Yeah, we'll just have to see what happens next season. Okay, next up, we have an email from Nick Lusser. I completely butchered that last name. I'm so sorry, Nick. Nick actually shared in his email his wife's thoughts on season two. This is what he wrote. I decided to get her opinion and thoughts on how the show introduced and developed the Siri-Yen relationship and was pleased at how much she liked and appreciated the way it was communicated. Yen truly sees herself in Siri while teaching her and seeing both the enormous struggles and even greater victories the latter experiences. In a way, this mirrors Yen's own journey. Finally, at the moment of truth, Yen realizes that so much of what she has always wanted power, the ability to rise above, the strength to help others, and the reawakening of her motherly spirit are meant for her to experience through her connection to Siri. The fact that my wife was able to pick up on all of that was incredibly gratifying for me and made me enjoy the episode, season, and show in general that much more. So that's an interesting point, Brett, with that Nick writes in his email. Something else that I hadn't entirely considered is the way that Yen potentially sees her own journey through Siri. Because the show gives us that Yen backstory, which doesn't exist in the books, I do like that Nick's wife here kind of connected those dots and made those parallels between the trials and tribulations that both a young Yen and now young Siri face. I Yeah, I guess. Did, does she know what all Siri's been through? That's the thing. It's just like, was one episode, that one episode enough for her to pick up on all of that about Siri? They had like, what, one conversation on screen about Geralt? <laughs> yeah, and then they were together with the the dinner when they ate at the temple, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I mean. There, there's, just no, there's just no depth to their relationship. And then when they finally are together or alone together, they're on the run. Siri's kind of in a panic thinking, oh shit, something happened to Geralt. Yen again, what was going through her mind, who the hell knows? And it's just it's just too shallow for me. I mean, that's fine to like to to draw that conclusion, but to me, I just I just can't buy anything that deep from it. It's just too shallow. I totally agree. I really appreciate that Nick's wife got that much out of the relationship and out of the show. I don't necessarily entirely agree with his wife's love of that relationship. Obviously, you and I feel differently about it. And something that I thought of while reading this email was being a book reader and being a longtime fan of the show, I'm kind of coming into it biased because I know there could be so much more that we get from it. Like what Nick's wife got from it is great, but I, coming from the book, am like, oh man, like there's there's more here though and we're not getting it. So I, I, I do want to acknowledge that there is always that bias as a longtime fan, as a book reader, 
coming into an adaptation where you know there's more here. I just want to point out that Nick did not put his wife's name in there. So before we get in trouble, we're not purposely calling her Nick's wife. <laughs> I'm sure she has a name, <laughs> but he did not name her. Yes, absolutely. So Nick's wife, you get on to him about that. For sure. In fact, email us your own thoughts. We'd love to hear them. But use Nick's wife, otherwise you'll know who you are. <laughs> All right. Another perspective on season length and relationships in an email from Rashmi Kaur. And again, if I mispronounced that last name, my apologies. Good afternoon from Boston. Oh, you from Southie? You're Quincy here? <laughs> yeah. Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> Brett asked for show only watchers to chime in how the show is doing and establishing character relationships in a word terrible. I've only watched the show and have no knowledge of the books or video games or anything else in the Witcher universe is why your podcast has been so helpful. I started watching because I have a friend group watching along and Henry Cavill is hot mainly because Henry Cavill is hot <laughs> for emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with Brett that the pace of the show has not allowed for meaningful character relationships, and in listening to your reflections, it's clear that there is so much missing from the books. The writing and acting would have to be superb to overcome this. I have no issues with the acting, so I'm going to have to chalk it up to poor writing force by the limited number of episodes per season. Given the built-in audience for this story and Netflix muscle, as a show-only watcher, it does not feel sumptuous, but rather like we can see the corners being cut. The okay again. I tried to stay like is you know as positive what it you know what I'm trying to say mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and absolutely I don't remember if it was this podcast or another podcast that the acting and the casting in particular is carrying the show like there's no doubt about it. Oh yeah, I cannot point to any character and say they're weak. I might have issues with the characterization. But everybody's going for it. Nobody sticks out and just like, how the hell did they get cast? Brand new people that have not been in anything else really, like this is their first major thing, are incredible. And so, no, I if they did not hit a grand slam on the casting, this would be, yeah, this would be a pretty rough show. And yeah. it's just being carried by it. I agree. There's not a single person in this show that I think doesn't fit the bill. And like you said, I also don't think there's a single person on the show who is not bringing 110% every time they're on camera. The casting, the acting is great. Henry Cavill is hot. Rushmi is absolutely correct about that. And in this email, Rushmi has echoed a lot of the points that we've made in our discussions as well. So I agree with a lot of what's being said here. I will say about the writing, that's something that I have felt is quite mixed as well. The writing can sometimes feel lackluster. And I don't mean that the writing is bad, but I, it's more that it's inconsistent is what bothers me. Sometimes it's spectacular, like 10 out of 10 home run stuff, like the opener to this season, the Novellan episode. And then other times it just devolves into being downright nonsensical. That issue I had with Vesemir wanting to kill Siri in the last episode just didn't make any sense to me. So that's what really bothers me about the writing. Well, the writer of A Grain of Truth, the first episode, is the showrunner and therefore head writer of Blood Origin. So hey, that's something. And that's a, and him and Bodomeo, who I believe wrote the second episode, who did Nightmare of the Wolf. Both of those two are not involved in the third season. I do not believe that Jenny Klein is either. 
So this third season has multiple new writers on there. And interesting. It is. And, you know, it's kind of one of those if you didn't like this writing, you know, it's like a devil, you know. So you're getting something new. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be better. Could be worse. Could be better. And Lauren Hestrick, the showrunner, had said that it was a lot harder to adapt Blood of Elves because not as much was happening and that it would be easier to do Time of Contempt, which is going to be season three. That might be her way of saying, chill the fuck out, dorks. We're going to go back to a lot of stuff in the books. (laughs) Yeah, which is an absolutely valid point. To be fair, Blood of Elves is not an easy book to adapt. Very little happens. It's a lot of slow talking, nothing happening scenes. It is, and she's right, but so many of those talky, talky, slow scenes or how that's how you really build the characterization. That doesn't mean slow. That doesn't mean bad. Game of Thrones became Game of Thrones, not for all those battles. The first and second season had essentially one battle. Mm-hmm. They had some fighting, but there was nothing major really going on. And it was talky, talky, talky. By the second episode of that series, I think there was 38 named characters. Like they trusted the audience <laughs> to be able to sit there and be like, man, I don't exactly know what's going on, but I'm going to stick with it because it's really fucking interesting. And I really yeah. wish the Netflix, this series or whoever it is, I don't know who it is. It could be executives, could be whatever. I don't think they fully trust the audience. They want to jangle those keys in front to be like, look, action, action, action. And at this point, they kind of got to roll with it. It'd be hard to really slow things down now. I would love it, though, especially because it's binged. Like, you know, it'd be one thing to do that if it was actually coming out every week, but it's, it's dropped all at once. Like, it doesn't have to be boom, 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 boom. And so that's just something there we're going to have to live with that maybe maybe they change it. Yeah, we'll have to see. All right, let's wrap up our mailbag section today with one more email. This one is from Alyssa Smart. And she's just saying hello. This is what she wrote. Hey guys, keeping this super short. I found your podcast when the first season of The Witcher came out. I really enjoyed listening on my morning commute. It feels like a great way to continue the story even when the seasons are over. With my only knowledge coming from the show and video games, I love hearing the comparison to the books and all the lore I didn't know about. Keep it up. P.S. I'm an insane person that played The Witcher 3 on my Switch so I could take it anywhere and put almost 200 hours into 100%ing the game. I fully intend to play through all the games again on my PC too. Pick evidence below. And then she attached (laughs) a photo of her Switch, and I can confirm she did play 200 hours of The Witcher 3 on the Nintendo Switch. (laughs) Okay, 200 hours is a solid beginning. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great start. <laughs> no, it's yeah. I don't even know what mine is because I initially played it on the PS4 and then kind of went to PC as well. So I don't know what mine is, but yes, 200 hours and then 100%ing. I, you are insane. Anybody that 100%ing a game, especially an open world RPG like that, little yeah, lunatic oh in the words of Rince. <laughs> All those little question marks on the map? No way. God, oh my I can't God, there were so many. Oh my, yeah, they're just everywhere. Wild. What a lovely email, though. And Alyssa, thank you so much for your short little note. It means a lot to us when listeners enjoy our discussions and are inspired by the TV show or our podcast or just anything in The Witcher to dive into the universe and experience more of it. So 
we're honored that you listened and enjoyed our show. And I'm personally very glad that she will be jumping into The Witcher 3 for another playthrough after already putting 200 hours into it. The Witcher 3 is easily in my top five games of all time. All right, so real I'm quick. Quite, I'm quite jealous. Reel them off real quick. Don't think. Top five? Yeah, quick. Red Dead Redemption 2, okay. Mass Effect 2, The Witcher 3. Ah, I'm stumped on the last two. <laughs> it probably comes down to Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion. Pokemon game or something? Some kind of Pokemon. Pokemon Ruby. <laughs> I'll go, go with Pokemon Ruby. <laughs> Okay. God, we're some, we're some basic bitches here. Cause I literally, I didn't even think about this. And I tweeted out like an hour ago. I was, I'm just started streaming a replay of red dead Two, And I've got like mods on it. I was just dicking around in there. And I tweeted out like, Witcher three and red dead two are my top two games. I don't know which it is, but it's going to be one of those two. I keep being told to play the mass effect games. I haven't played any of them and have no idea like what they're about. Oh my gosh. Masterpiece games. I recently replayed them because the Legendary Edition came out. Actually, small note before we wrap up and toss it to a break. I know we talked about our Red Dead Redemption horses earlier this season yeah. on this podcast. My horse died just this week, Brett. Did I it. failed my horse. I couldn't protect it. Oh my gosh. What, what was the horse's it name? It was awful. The horse's name was Roach. Yep. And see, it had to be. You know, it's funny. I can't even I can't even remember who to give this credit to because I named it Roach. Everyone I know is Witcher, they name it Roach. And then someone said, No, I named it Kelpie. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh. That's what you name it. See that all the yeah, all the virgins will name it Roach, right? And the Chads <laughs> will be like, nah, it's Kelpie. So if you don't know Kelpie, Chad. Kelpie is Siri's horse name. Like a magical horse. So Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's the new one, Kelpie. Okay, with the mailbag complete, we're going to take a short break. But don't go anywhere. We'll be right back for a spoiler discussion about next season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back. Let's get into the second half of today's episode. And one last warning before we continue. A reminder that we are now transitioning into the spoiler part of today's discussion. So if you haven't read all the Witcher books and played all the video games and cosplayed as Geralt at least once in your life, continue at your own risk. We're getting into some big, big spoilers in just a second here. Okay, you had your chance. Let's do it. Spoiler talk, Brett. And of course, we got to talk Thanet Coup, season three. All roads lead to Nilfgaard, but I think all of the story roads will lead to Thanet Isle. Yeah. This is going to be a major, major event next season. And obviously, it's one of the biggest moments in the book, Time of Contempt, which the next season will be adapting. And so you and I have discussed this a lot off mic, but... This is what we think will effectively be the Red Wedding event of The Witcher, of this show. I think it's fair to say that, right? It is, again, how it is done in the books. 
we don't know. We have no idea like what they're going to do. I do think they're going to have it, but I don't know how they're going to get there considering what they've done in the show. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, before we get into details, let's go over a very brief refresher of the Thanet Coup, just for folks who haven't revisited the book in a while. Basically, all of the mages of the continent gather on Eratusa for the annual shareholder meeting or whatever, and a schism has formed between the mages. One group supports Nilfgaard, and the other group supports the Northern Kingdoms. And what happens is that both groups plan to use this gathering to make a move on the other. And thus, violence breaks out, and everyone from the Skoyatel to Nilfgaard get involved in this coup. A big thing here is Francesca has made a deal with Nilfgaard to gain the territory of Dol Blathana as a home for the elves. In the books, Francesca is a member of the Brotherhood. Like, she's a mage, she's there. She's not in the show. And so at this shareholders meeting, as he so aptly put it, <laughs> she, she sneaks in this Scoyatel and basically unleashes them to attack these northern supporters, and at least to the end of the Brotherhood. But a big thing about that also, maybe I'll put the cart before the horse here, because again, so much of it is like that, oh shit, like you talked about Red Wedding, Yeah, is they're found out. And Philippa and these others are just like, she's a fucking traitor. She's helping Nilfgaard. Vilgaforce is a traitor. Like, all right, we, we got him under control. Tissaia doesn't really believe it. Or you can say she sticks to the neutrality that she wants, and she actually lets them go. And then the Thanet coup is unleashed. And it's ended with her doing what Yennefer did when she first got to Eratusa, and that's slitting her wrists. Right, right. I mean, there are going to be some bombshell moments next season, depending on how closely it follows the events of the book. And that, that's going to be one of them, is what happens to Tysaia. And I guess, I, I guess again, we can put it down the line if you want to, but where Francesca is in the show, how's that going to... She can't do that. I mean, right now, there is no Scoia'tael. It seems like... That's the birth of the Scoia'tael? I mean, it's tough to imagine why she would be on Eretuza in the first place in this show. Where we have left off with Francesca and her band of elves is they're in the wild outside in some unknown place talking to Istrid. Maybe Istrid is their connect into Eretuza. Oh, that's a very good point. That is a good place. point. That's good. And she's aligned with Nilfgaard in the books. And here, as we found out by the last episode, Emir personally ordered the death of the baby who was not in the books as well which is a whole other thing that they added that was massive yeah i think it's a really good thing you just brought up there about how yeah history, <laughs> history can bring well i kept thinking like what he said he talked about the elder blood and now francesca's interested in siri also right and it could just be i don't know because again francesca did not give two fucks about siri in the books she was all about home for the elves did not care for humans at all mm-hmm it's hard to say what's going to happen here at Thanid when Francesca was the reason the Thanid coup occurred. Yeah. I mean, uh, you brought up Amir. That's like a huge thing. We can't just ignore that all season, right? Like he doesn't really do much in time of contempt, but in the show, he's going to have to be present and doing stuff. Well, and he's also told everybody that Ceres his daughter. And yeah. that was <laughs> yeah, like hush, right. hush in the books, right? It was. It was. He had that whole fake daughter and everything. Yeah, there was the false Siri, and which I don't think they're going to do false Siri. No, I don't think so. 
Yeah. And again, this is another thing too. And I want to, I want this to be stressed clearly. I am not mm-hmm. saying they need to do all of this. I'm not saying it's going to be bad if they do, don't do all that. I'm just throwing this out for people that maybe don't know, or for those that want to hold their lighters in the air and be like, Oh good. He's talking about it. He's talking about it. Nothing <laughs> is inherently bad that they're going to do right now that we don't know about. Okay. It's its own story. However they do it, we'll judge it how they pull it off as a show. Definitely. 100%. My lighter is in the air, Brett. Yeah. Banded. <laughs> so let's do some speculating then, because it's always fun to speculate a bit. I'm curious, how do you think the Thanid coup will come about next season? Will they slowly build up to it and perhaps hit us with it in like episode seven, like the penultimate? Or do you think Thanid coup will happen earlier in the season and we'll see the fallout? in the next couple of episodes after that. I mean, I think that would make the most sense, and it seems what shows do. It's always the penultimate episode. Yeah. Because you can end that episode on, holy shit, your mind is blown. But also depends on what they do, because if if they put everything in time of contempt that's there, you know, Siri has to go through the portal. She has to go through the Karathi Desert. She has to meet the rats. She has to meet Swears and all that. So... I don't know. They might put that off to the next season, which might be okay. Like it, maybe that's what they end the season. This series going through the portal at the end. Uh, but now I, it, there's a lot of things they could do. But I'm I'm hyping myself right now, thinking about that, <laughs> thinking about Vilgefortz just bitch slapping Geralt all up and down. Yes, yes. <laughs> all this is just in my head now, and I can't fucking wait. I can't wait either. It, it truly could be one of the most memorable episodes slash moments of this entire show if it's done right. And uh, just like you, I'm like quite hyped at all the possibilities of how they could handle it. I will say, though, I think that's a bit of a double-edged sword, though, right? Because this is such a central moment in the continent, like both in the story, but also for the show, if it's bungled in some major way, I think that could... Like spell disaster is maybe too dramatic of a thing to say, but it could really sour my thoughts on the show as a whole. If Thanet Koo is like dramatically changed and cores like central themes and characters are changed for the sake of the show's own story. What what are your thoughts on like how closely should it should stick to the book and how much leeway they have to insert their own stories? I mean, so many, so many of my favorite things from the books haven't happened aren't gonna happen and one of my favorite things from thanid was when kair finally catches up to siri you know she beats his ass takes his helmet off and finally puts the face to a person and can't kill him and it's a humanizing moment and we see this siri just over i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill this black knight he's been haunting my dream or haunting my nightmares you know all she thinks about is just killing this dude and she has this moment and she doesn't do it they can't do that in the show because she's already seen his face. His face was, wasn't even covered at Sintra. Yeah. And so that right there would be the number one thing I'd want to see, but it, it can't happen now. And that was such a huge character moment for Siri. I don't know how to exactly explain it, but to, yeah, that, that, I get it. Yeah, I it hit you. that way for me. And it's just, they're going to have to leave that part out. And I'm just disappointed in that. But I, I want to see Vilgefortz beat the shit out of Geralt. I'll be super disappointed if that doesn't happen. <laughs> I agree. And actually, speaking of things we want to see, how about let's play armchair showrunner a bit and talk about some of the things we would love for the show to do 
or we think that the show needs to do to absolutely nail the Thanad coup on screen. I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me is that uh, this may seem obvious, I guess, but like Geralt, Yen, and Siri have to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like even Dijkstra's there. Everybody who's anybody that they've put off in the show should be at Thanid either because they were there in the books or because their character actually has to do it. If Siri's there, everyone's going to be there, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one thing that is kind of inevitable. I think season two ended on showing us all of these various groups because they're all going to come together and come to a head here. The other thing that I th- think is a little less inevitable is the banquet scene in the book that's one of my favorite moments it's like such a delicious tense scene in the book and i'm wondering how much of that we'll see on screen and how much they'll be able to capture some of the emotions that are at play i think my favorite thing from the banquet guess what can't be in the show (laughs) Oh, because no. <laughs> what I what stuck out to me the most from the banquet was Sabrina, Yen, and Geralt. In the books, Sabrina and Yen are rivals. They don't like each other. Right. And Sabrina specifically is just, I mean, they're all hot, right? But she is just super hot. She's wearing a revealing dress and she's just coming on to Geralt. She's trying to make Yen nervous or make Yen jealous. And there's just this cattiness between those two that I just loved that all this shit is going on. And Geralt's just kind of in the middle. It's not a love triangle at all. Like Sabrina's one of the few mages, I guess you can say, that Geralt did not hook up with, nor would hook up with in the games that you could in that sense. <laughs> right. And so, no, stuff like that is awesome. But like we've talked about before, how are you really going to have a lot of that when you have so little time? That's true. That's true. I really do hope we see the banquet in some way, though. It's hard for me to imagine that it would get cut entirely, but I don't think it'll be quite the incredible long chapter that it was in the book. So I'm curious about your thoughts on this next point, too. This may be a bit controversial, but I also wrote down in our script that I really think next season, the Scoia'tael need to be introduced. And we got hints of that maybe this season with Francesca seemingly being set up in a sort of Scoia'tael-ish role, I think it finally needs to happen. We need to see the squirrels. And maybe that's just my squirrel fanboy talking. What do you think? I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm right there with you on it, but I if they haven't done it already and they didn't include Sherawed, which was the perfect time to introduce the Scoia'tael. Yeah. And, you know, there, there should be somebody named Milva. <laughs> They could be introduced, that kind of, that's the Dryads, it's not really the Scoia'tael, but she did work with the Scoia'tael, or talked about working with the Scoia'tael in the books. So maybe that might be where they come in, maybe Milva's with them, maybe she's not in Brokolon. I, I talked about it before, Francesca appears right now, like you said, to be the leader of the Scoia'tael that might have just birthed at the end of season two. In the book, she has nothing to do with them directly other than hiring them and teaming up with them. She's not in charge of them. So I think the question now would be, are they going to ever introduce the Scoia'tael? Are they going to introduce them at all? Yeah. Which is so weird because they've done so much with the elves and the oppression of the elves. How do they not have the Scoia'tael? Well, that's exactly it, though. I, I think maybe season two, seeing all of these crimes against the elves 
is perhaps planting the seeds for Scoia'tael. Maybe that's me reading too much into it, but maybe that's the direction they're going with it. No, they show us how terrible. Also, yeah, yeah. the Nilfgaard. Yeah, right. They're trained by Nilfgaard, so they they know how to fight. I don't know. It it feels to me like looking back at the season as a whole, like a huge setup for a Scoia'tael reveal. But maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. We'll see. Okay, so this next point we have in our script, uh, we don't necessarily agree on, but I had written down that I think next season, we got hints of it in season two, I think in season three, the show needs to lean more heavily into the politics of the continent. You brought up Game of Thrones earlier, and I think that's what initially drew me so much to Game of Thrones. There were houses you could cheer for and minor houses and major houses, and you understood the politics of that universe right and i think that was part of why that was so attractive similarly there is a lot of politics in the witcher i just don't think the show has leaned all that much into it and maybe perhaps they should i've actually not talked people out but warned people against reading the witcher because they came from game of thrones and i'm like do you want something like game of thrones they're like yeah i'm like that's not the witcher (laughs) <laughs> like, do you like all that? In, do you like all that intrigue and all the houses and all that? And they're like, oh, I love that. That was my favorite part. I'm like, no, that's not what this story is. There are crumbs of that in here. Yeah. And I'll realize this too that I might be in the minority about this because I've heard a dozen people say that they love the politic, the political stuff too. It was their favorite part. It never really captivated me in the books, even going through them. I can remember Dijkstra. And uh, Esterad, I think, was in the Kovir and Povis when he went up there to get money in Lady of the Lake. Yep. The entire chapter was that. I could not get through that chapter fast (laughs) enough because of what was happening during Lady of the Lake. I'm like, I don't care about Dijkstra having to go get money and have this Kovir and Povis somehow be neutral in this mercantilism. I don't care about that. And here's another thing, too. I just don't think Sapkowski was that good at it. So again, that would be my hot take. And I do think they're going to do more of it. You know, they they had all the kings that they're talking about putting a bounty basically on Siri. The introduction of Dijkstra alone, you're talking about chaos and bedlam that he was going to sow. I think they're going to do more of it. But yeah, if people have, like you, you have an issue with the writing, do you really want them to sit in rooms <laughs> and talk? Because it's the thing, like it was just so good at Game of Thrones. The actors were great. The writing was great. George R. R. Martin was incredible at it. Yeah. That's not what Sapkowski's that good at. That's a great point. Yeah. I I think there's no comparison to be made. Like Game of Thrones, speaking from just like a political standpoint, is head and shoulders above what Sapkowski wrote in The Witcher. We'll have to see. I might be asking to your point about like, if I already think the writing is inconsistent, do I really want them to lean into like <laughs> heavy dialogue <politics? laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and heavy dialogue? Yeah. I don't know. I might be asking for too much there. Well, I mean, there's so much input from the actors is I've kind of come to find out by interviewing some of them that it kind of maybe even opens the door for that. And we love the performances. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it could work. And there's also the wild card, like we talked about with the new writers coming on as well. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Great flex there, by the way, (laughs) interviewing some of the actors. I love it. Okay. The other thing we've already sort of touched on this, but the other thing that I think absolutely must happen during the Thanat coup next season is this confrontation between Vilgefortz and Geralt. We must see Geralt 
get his ass handed to him. We need to establish how powerful and deadly Vilgefortz is. We know Vilgefortz is stupidly powerful. Uh-huh. He has to beat up Geralt. Like, and he just fucking waxes him at Thanet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> busts his knee up to where he's just fucking hobbled like crazy. But it all goes back to his final scene at the end of season one, where Kyer basically lays waste to Vilgefortz. That was never really explained. It was weird that they put that tease in and then had no teases throughout all of season two. Yeah. What do we make of that scene? Because I can't let that scene go until it's explained. There's no way that those two could have fought one-on-one, Kyer legitimately out-dueling and beating Vilgefortz, and then in any way think that Vilgefortz can be as powerful or even remotely take on Geralt, of all things. Yep. My thoughts exactly. I, I love that you brought that up, because if you didn't, I was going to. How do we square the fact that Vilgefortz lost to Kai here in the first season? And he ran out of magic. Like, it just was, it was like, I was of the, because there were a bunch of theories being thrown around. And the theory I believed, because it just simply made the most sense to me, was that Vilgefortz somehow threw that. Like, he purposely lost. Yeah. But nothing was ever talked about it. It never got brought up again. So that kind of confused me even more. Here's my theory. You know that vial of blood that Reince stole from... Of Siri? Kermorin? Yeah. Yeah. I think the show is going to do some sort of like, Vilgefortz isn't super powerful right now in season one and two, but he's going to drink this blood or something. Well, didn't that just and burn up Lydia's face? Gonna... True. I wonder if she spilled all of it. That's kind of, yeah, you know, yeah, kind of. Although, <laughs> it's kind of weird to look at Lydia and be like, hey, give me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> True, Yeah. But again, maybe being a powerful, I don't know. I'm like wild, like spitballing here, but maybe that is how the show will explain Vilgefortz being like uber powerful is that he drinks some of this elder blood and that, that enhances his magical ability. Man, I, uh, that, I, I think you're right. Like we can't square that scene in season yeah. one without an explanation. If Vilgefortz truly does kick Geralt's ass in Thanad next season. Yeah. No, I think that's an absolutely viable theory that you have that honestly may actually come about. I just, I would hate that. Like, because <laughs> yeah. it's, that's so, I don't know, that's like 80s bad movie. Like, oh, it's me, like anime shit. Yes. I'm a big anime fan and even I'm like, that's too much yes, anime. it's like, that's now it. I have the, you know, like now they have the power <laughs> or something, like they have the special serum I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. It was, To me, it was just better that Vilgefortz was seen. Oh, yeah, he's strong. He led the mages at Sodden, again, from the books. But Vilgefortz versus Geralt is the biggest fucking showdown you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much in Thanad Coup. Again, one of the most pivotal scenes in the book. Okay, I actually forgot to bring this up when I talked about Kyre, so I'll just do it in here now. Kyre also, it's important to note, Okay, at the end of the show, Kyer and Frangilla are arrested by Emir. All right. In Blood of Elves, Kyer reappears to be let out of prison. He doesn't do anything he does in the show, but he's let out of prison. And basically, Emir's like, you have one more chance to get Siri, otherwise, you're fucking dead. So basically, he sets out. He's kind of alongside Rince. They get to Thanid. He confronts Siri. Biggest thing there, Siri spares him. Geralt also spares him. I forgot to mention that earlier. Right. Kyer. Just chasing after Siri because he is in love with her. And I'm letting that sink in. Yeah. He's in love with her. A legit love. Not like, oh, I want to bang this child. He's in love with her. 
I don't know how Kyrie is. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, how, how are they going to do that? Like, how are they going to bring him to Thanded with those same motivations where he's at now on the show? They just can't. I don't think they will. I think they're just nixing that entire subplot. So what do you think? Let's say, let's say this is the, to me the obvious thing that's going to happen. Emir lets Fragilla and Kyra out saying you need to go find Siri. And that's yeah. their thing to get there. Then what is his motivation? Because he has shown zero interest in Siri as a person. The only interest he has been is the white flame. We, we need to please the white flame. This is the goal for us. We need to find Siri. So what is his goal? Is it going to be again to serve the white flame after he was just imprisoned? That, that's just so boring. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is. We have talked about it in both season one and two, how it's very weird how much of a fanatic he is because he's not that in the book. No, not at all. Well, Nilfgaard as a whole really aren't. I should say some are. Some are, but not anybody we really talk to isn't really that way. But yeah, Kyer does not give two shits about the great son or whatever it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have an answer for your question. I don't even have speculation. Kyer is just an absolute wild card for me in the show. And every time he's on screen, I just have no idea what's going to happen. And so I, I don't know what will happen with him in season three. I don't even have theories. All right. So, Brett, those are some of the things that we want to see next season. Let's wrap up here a little bit by flipping to the other side of the coin and talking about some of the things that we think the show shouldn't do next season. And one of the first things that comes to mind for me is the show's tendency to weave its own like subplots, its own B and C plots alongside the primary plot that's taking place. While I think that worked really well in season one, particularly with Yen and getting to know more of her backstory that we don't in the books, I think in season two, the Voleth Mir subplot and a lot of the Frangilla, Francesca subplot actively took away from our time with our main characters, with our main story taking place with Siri and Geralt and Kermorin. And I would love for the show to basically not do that next season and try and stick as much as they can to the primary plot and not keep cutting away to other side stories that are show creations. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think the show should strike a balance or just try and stick to the main plot? Well, I think they kind of made their bed with season two. Mm. Like, yeah. you know, I, that is a good point. You made a lot of good points made on here that I haven't thought of. <laughs> that season one, as much as I did not really care for it too much, it really was just the three main characters and their three plots, and everyone else was introduced alongside of it. Now that I think about it, we really weren't away from either one of those three characters too much on their own, were we? Yeah, and I think that worked to the show's strength. I don't think it's inherently a problem to have eight episodes. I don't think it's inherently a problem to have so much ambition and so many stories. It's just what you do with it and how you pull it together or don't. And that's the same thing here. They can do this, the side stories, if you want to call it the side quests. Yeah. I just think they have to be interesting and they have to be worth taking away from Geralt, Siri, and Yen. And right now, they were almost a breath of fresh air because Geralt, Siri, and Yen still isn't quite working. And this other stuff is, but it's a lot better because of those, for me at least, in the second season. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it would be a very lean show without those. It would, but like you said, if if we didn't have those, it would be so much more of the others that you could weave other people in and out of. True. Well, I think this next point, I have a feeling we're both going to agree on this, but I would love next season for the show to basically cut it out with the monster of the week thing. I would love for them to tone that down and just build up to the Thanet coup, right? Like that is the big explosive action-packed moment of the season. We don't need all this other action sort of crammed in there. So I would love for the monsters to kind of take a backseat next season, but they, I don't know. That might be a controversial take because we've had some listeners even write to us and say how much they love the monster fights. So maybe that's just me. No, it and it seems Netflix absolutely loves them, especially from a marketing and promoting tool. But again, once the novels really take off, and especially Time of Contempt and or I should say Baptism of Fire on out, I'm going to go back and actually count the amount of monsters that Geralt actually fights. And then right. of those, how many of them are Witcher work or is it just, oh, fuck, there's a monster. I have to kill it. Yeah. It's not about that. It is the Witcher but from this point on to sagas, it's not about witchering or the witcher work per se. Like the monsters are rare. And so I agree, just not just have the monster of the week. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. holding my breath on that though. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about the Netflix marketing. So Brett, you, I see you also ha- added some notes to this section. What do you think the show should and shouldn't do next season? I mean, I have down the make 10 episodes talking about ambition, blah, blah, blah. But I think we've covered that ad nauseum. Yeah, that's true. So the main thing for me is another thing. <laughs> uh, I've beaten this dead horse maybe only three or four times instead of seven or eight times like the other one. <laughs> and it's just simply get the relationships right. Everything else can suffer as long as this is gained from it. I also think that this is kind of like you mentioned earlier, it's going to be a make or break kind of season. That if this next season ends, even though it might be good, if those relationships aren't established, if they're not hit on, I'm just not going to believe that Yen and Geralt are going to go through the ends of the fucking continent to find Ciri because they should be separated by the end of this season. That's true. I think you're spot on that this really is the make or break season for the central relationship in this story between Yen, Ciri, and Geralt because everything that comes after and all the future books and all the dangers and turmoil that both Yen and Geralt and Ciri go through to try and come together again once they're separated is built on that fact that they deeply care for each other and love each other to the ends of the earth, quite literally. Whew. All right, Brett, that was a intense discussion about next season, but that's it. We've done it. We've completed our coverage of season two we deep dived into every episode and now we're going to be taking a bit of a well-earned break on this podcast so what that means for our listeners is that no more weekly episodes but that doesn't mean this show is going anywhere there is a lot of witcher goodness coming down the pipeline this year next year and the years ahead and we will still be here to geek out about all of that so let's go over very briefly, some of the things we have to look forward to in the Witcher universe in 2022. First up, we have the live-action prequel series, Blood Origin. You mentioned that earlier in the episode. You and I think 
this may be coming this summer, but there's actually no confirmation. There's no release date yet about when Blood Origin would be coming out. But do you think we'll still get it this summer? Yeah, it's been done. It's been in post-production now for months upon months. It would just make perfect sense that this would come out when Nightmare of the Wolf came out last year, which I think was August, right? Right. Yeah, and this is also six episodes, one and done, I think also, right? Yes. Okay. I believe so, yeah. Which, again, is fascinating to me that they would, would they really build all these sets and then just be like, all right, we're done. Six episodes, one season. If you got the money. I know, but like- you got that, that Netflix money. Oh, man, <laughs> Netflix is just, if anybody out there works for Netflix, man, I got some questions about money, but I think that's just called- capitalism and business <laughs> of just how, how to do all that. I got so many questions about that. Forget about The Witcher. I want to know about Netflix business model, <laughs> just in for general. Real, but real. no, it would make perfect sense that this would come out in August. It would be something again to hype up the upcoming season that will hopefully, you know, this will be a Christmas uh, tradition now, Christmas tradition here for the, the Witcher. True. I mean, season three is already in production. And like you said, it's seemingly now going to be a Christmas tradition. Season one came out in December. Season two came out in late December. And perhaps season three will come out in uh, December 2022. So that's another thing to look forward to. Of course, as we've done for season one and two, we will do for season three on this podcast and dive deep into it. The other thing that we can probably look forward to this year is something we covered for the first time last year, which was WitcherCon. And last year we did everything from trailer analysis to discussing the biggest news and the big casting announcements. We have no reason to believe that there won't be a WitcherCon 2022 this year as well. So when and if that happens, we'll be sure to cover the biggest news from that this year as well. Yeah, I think they were teamed up with Set of Project Red last year also. So yeah. there's no reason why they can do, especially a virtual thing. Like you could just do a virtual thing so easy, you know, just have the big stars there or any kind of big names that would be there also. But I know the Witcher 3, the remastered edition is coming out somewhat. I don't know. Maybe that might be the time it actually comes out if they actually have set a date. Oh, but there yeah. are going to be Netflix goodies, if you will, in the Witcher 3. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so maybe like the sword, you know, maybe like the medallion, maybe you can change something like that. So yeah, Netflix and Set of Project Red have teamed up to at least have some kind of little alliance with it, which is smart because why wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay, one last note before we sign off for this season and for this episode, Brett. I want to hand the mic to you and let you talk about your other Witcher podcast. Yeah. So, and again, hopefully we'll have a link down there in the show notes. But yeah, oh, I had will, yeah. the previous one and longtime listeners of this podcast know when I had my own called Whispers of Oxenford that was about the books. Well, I pretty much ended the books and have moved on to almost all Witcher things. And I brought on a co-host, Lucy. And the great thing about that is, is the difference in her and like Abu, where Abu is someone like me that knows everything. We get into all this other stuff and deep dives. Yeah. For instance, she has not read the books. And so it's, to me, I love getting her perspective. And not only that, the first thing that she ever experienced in The Witcher was the show. Whoa. She watched the show and then played the game. Wow. Yeah. So that's a big thing there. 
But for the most part, we started doing the games, The Witcher 3. We started going through it. We took a break to cover the show. Uh, one cool thing we've done is actually interviewed Misha Simpson, who plays Francesca, and Paul Bullion, who plays Lambert. We've covered the show. We're about done with that. And then we're going to go back to doing the game. So anybody out there that's played the games, we're, you know, we're going quest by quest of the main things to do it. And major, major side quest is that as well. And it's much more, not, not to say that this is uptight, but it's very, you know, laid back in that sense. It's kind of just, you know, talking with people, having guests on and, you know, what I equate it to basically just having a drink and just shooting the shit. So we can get into some deep things, but it's not really so much. And, you know, that's the outlet here that I like is we can really like nerd out. <laughs> yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. It's and, a different yeah. vibe. Yeah. I don't even think I said the name, but anyway, that's on the path. Uh, but yeah, check it out. <laughs> We're going to keep doing that. That's a wonderful outlet for our listeners who just can't get enough Witcher in their life. We'll be on break here on this podcast, but on the path, we'll continue releasing episodes. Yeah. It appears that if I ever stop talking about the Witcher, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a curse that y'all don't know about. Wink, wink. That I just have to keep talking about the goddamn Witcher. <laughs> right. Uh, be- between streaming Gwent on your Twitch channel, on the path with Lucy, and winds howling with me, I don't know how you do it, Brett. Yeah, I'm all in. It's it's my brand, I guess. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, we also wanted to just wrap up here and say thank you. To all of our listeners, all of the emails have been so incredible. The tweets, the support, the messages. It's been such a fun journey diving into season two with you, Brett, and with our listeners every single episode. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for joining us this season. And this podcast might be off to care more in to rest and recover for a bit, but we won't be gone long. We'll be back soon and we can't wait to jump back into Witcher goodness with all of our listeners again. Yeah. And I just want to say again, obvious thanks to the listeners and all that, but a big thanks to you because you kind of, you do the editing, you do the behind the scenes stuff, which can be a massive, massive pain as you're, as you're thinking about that right now, like, Oh, but no, just a big thanks to you. And again, maybe peeling back the curtain here a little bit for the listeners out there is, you know, we have like a script, we have things written down And so much of what I say, I don't initially have written down. It's based on what you say. And it's something that you bring up. And I'm just like, oh, shit, I didn't think about that. And then I say it. And so that's just a good thing that you've done. Your perspective has greatly helped, not just my own view of The Witcher, but hopefully all the listeners out there as well. So I just want to thank you as we get all mushy here at the end oh no i I, that means the world to me thank you so much brett well brett podcasts are podcasts lesser greater middling they're all the same but we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward so leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts and spotify and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path.